This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, Heartbreakers. Welcome back to another Breakdown Bonus episode. Wanted to give you a heads up that we're touching on some sensitive topics in this bonus. So be sure to check the content warnings in the episode description. Also, if you want to be a part of the conversation on our Instagram at Break Breakdown Podcast, before I record a breakdown bonus with a mental health professional, I always ask for feedback and questions that you want to know about the topic that we're diving into. So be sure to give us a follow if you want to be a bigger part of the conversation. All right, let's get into it. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Margaret Rutherford. She is the host of the self-work podcast and the author of Perfectly Hidden Depression. We are going to cover a wide variety of topics, but really going to be diving into self-trust and learning how to trust people again. So thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome, Abby. I'm delighted to be here. It's a real honor. A real theme of this episode was a betrayal. Somebody, their boyfriend left them for their best friend. And that's a real deep That's a double whammy, double whammy. Mm -hmm. A double whammy. But you actually said that you think learning how to trust yourself is the important thing here when it comes to diving into new relationships right? Yes. I was just talking to someone earlier today in session about the fact that so often we make the mistake of giving someone our trust blindly and not really waiting for them to earn our trust. I mean, I think that that's not that you want to advocate for everyone being distrustful and having huge long yardsticks of you have to do this and this and this before I trust you. But at the same time, I think that we begin to focus on, well, these are the things that should have told me that I couldn't trust this person. You know, the way they, I don't know, where they lived, who what they looked like, what their job was, how they approach this, how they approach that. Actually, if you begin to focus on yourself and say, for example, what was the thing that I ignored from the very beginning of the relationship? Something that happened that now I look back on it and I thought, you know, that was really the beginning of, it was the little seed of something that I chose to ignore or discount, or I was afraid to see it. I didn't want to see it. I was in lust love, but often that is the thing that blossoms into the real problem. Let's say your ex was short and a student loved to fish and flirted a lot. You'd meet someone tall and who hated fishing and, you know, whatever I just said, uh, and didn't flirt at all, was very quiet. Oh, okay, now I can trust this person. Wrong. Basically, you want to say, am I acting different in this relationship? All I have control over is what was my part of this relationship going awry. Now, this is not to say that is your fault or your responsibility because someone you chose to love or trying to love went outside of the relationship and had an affair with your best friend. Um, no, that that's not what I'm saying at all. I talk about this with patients who come in, couples who come in where there's been affairs. There is no excuse for someone going outside of the relationship to somehow take care of some need and then keep it a secret. Those kinds of things do happen in a context. And for you to be able to trust yourself that you're not recreating that same dynamic. Maybe it comes from, you know, your family of origin where you had a parent who had affairs, or maybe it comes from all kinds of things in your childhood. Maybe you were abused and you didn't, you don't recognize abuse. It could be so many things. And so you want to take a, a what I call an autopsy, which is sort of a gruesome term, but an autopsy of your part of the relationship that was good, that you would, you think back and you go, 
you know what? I would do that all over again because that's what my strength is. That's who I want to be. That action represented my values. But at the same time, you say, you know, I was confused here. I was agitated here and I didn't say anything. What was it that was your part of this relationship being disappointing that you can claim and that you can say, I need to work on this and not be in a relationship probably (laughs) until I know that this is something I can achieve. I've heard it said on multiple podcasts that sometimes we can find ourselves in relationships with really similar types of people. And it's because we Mm -hmm. can often go back to what's comfortable. Is there any truth to that? It's familiar. Yes. I think the most recent example of that is someone I'm working with whose father was very abusive to her, very controlling of her. And she has sought relationships that were also very abusive and very controlling. And as I said a few minutes ago, could not see that as abuse because it was familiar. Now, we can take the opposite of that. We can take relationships that don't seem to have any boundaries, that there are no secrets. It's called enmeshment. You you almost know each other's thoughts before you say them. And that's what they expect. And that's what's familiar. And so they choose people who do that with them because that's what love looks like to them. That feels familiar. Unfortunately, that often does not work out very well. Obviously, in the abusive relationship, it doesn't. But in enmeshed relationships, it also can get very, very sticky and gosh, suffocating. So it's so important. You know, this is the least followed advice I ever give. That advice is wait. Wait until after a relationship that has been disappointing or very hurtful or just fizzled. Wait until you have enough time to look at exactly what we're talking about. What do I think was their responsibility? What do I think was mine? And what can I begin working on with my friends, with my work colleagues to begin to see how am I playing this out? You know, how can I see myself a little more objectively? I think it is so important. And I didn't follow my own advice years ago. Fortunately, I was married twice in my 20s because of this this kind of immaturity. And then finally, when my now husband of 32 years asked me to marry him, I said, I don't want to lose you. And I really think I love you. And I think you love me, but I've got to wait. I wanted to do some things differently. And we did do those things differently. And we waited and we've been married for 32 years. Getting divorced twice, I'm sure, was quite traumatic and having to learn to trust again. What did you have to do to know that you could trust yourself to get into a third marriage? If you want me to be frank, I had really used sexuality for control in relationships. That was not the thing to do. And I had also fought for control. I had to realize that I had grown up in a family where I was very controlled. And so I sought control, but I also hated control. And I fought against it strongly and used sexuality, sensuality in order to get my way. That doesn't work. Not long term. I had to recognize that I was the common element. You know, it's one thing if you get divorced and then it's another thing if you get divorced for the second time, you have to go, wait, wait a minute. I am the common thread here. And as humbling as that is, it definitely makes you take a look at yourself and again, take responsibility for your part. It's interesting that you brought up the sexuality thing for control and maybe Mm -hmm. on some level validation, because I actually I asked my followers, I said, after listening to today's episode, you know, do you have any questions about self-trust and self-esteem? And someone said, will you ask about how to not use relationships and sex for validation? Like, how do I build my self-esteem from the inside versus outsourcing it from other people? As soon as we're in a relationship, our defenses go way up and we pull out ways to make ourselves feel better that sometimes aren't new, healthy ways. They're old, unhealthy ways. Right. And so basically, you know, when you recognize that you yourself have been using sex 
sexuality or anything like that to lure people into relationships or anything like that, then you have to say, what what am I going to get? You know, when I do that, what's the most likely kind of relationship I'm going to get? A hypersexual one, one where, you know, you are usually expected to look a certain way and act a certain way and be a certain way when really that was just the way I entered the relationship. That really wasn't me. I mean, I was a sexual human being, but that was sort of an act I was putting on. I had to learn how to be me and not rely on what I knew I could perform. I could perform in that way. I was a fairly attractive 28, 29 year old. And so it usually worked, but I had to learn that I had other strengths and other competencies. One of the questions you asked me from the very beginning was this uh, woman had said she stayed because of self-esteem issues or something. One of the interesting things, and you know, psychologists, sometimes we get really overly picky about the meanings of words, but I do think there's a slight difference between self-esteem and self-worth. And the way I think about it is self-esteem is something that if I write down, what do I feel self-esteem about? Usually it would be about that I could cook some really good Italian spaghetti. I used to sing pretty well. I've got a podcast that I love. I'm going to name things that I think are my strengths, but my self-worth is more intrinsic. It's more innate than that. It is about who I am as a person, not my attributes, not my characteristics, not my strengths, not my vulnerabilities. It is about my intrinsic worth. When she said I stayed because of self-esteem, my guess is she stayed out of fear. Because when you're in a relationship where you're, I mean, I'm sure way before this guy had an affair with her best friend or started a relationship with her best friend, there were all kinds of signs going on that she was being ignored or demeaned or manipulated. And so, you know, what kept her from seeing those things? And so often it is fear, fear of being alone, all that kind of thing. That's why I say stay out of a relationship for a while, because you can build your sense of being a okay with being alone. Self-worth is one of those things that I feel like, you know, because it's so easy to outsource it from other places or getting validation to sort of put a band-aid over what we're lacking in our own self-esteem or self-worth. Is there anything you can do? Are there tangible steps you can take to fill that void within yourself instead of looking for it in other places? And you're so busy looking for other people to fill you up. You miss the opportunities to have the recognition that your own presence in your own life, your own being, is important. I'll give people the, the the homework assignment to go watch a sunset by themselves, to go on a walk by themselves, to do something that a lot of times, go, go have a picnic by the lake by yourself and enjoy it. Recognize that you enjoy your own sense of worth, your own being in that moment. Yes, would someone else's presence enhance that perhaps? Yes, but there are all also things that you notice as a unique individual. It's not narcissism or grandiosity. It's just, I like what I see. I like the things that I am going to notice. A photographer is going to notice something on a walk that I would never notice until maybe I'm trying to learn photography. So I think that is, I know that sounds a little woo-woo, but it comes from within and there's just no way to begin to get that in relationship until you have your 
yours, your unique understandings and the, and how you see the world and they have theirs. And then you come together and you begin to appreciate what the other one brings because it enhances your life. You don't need it, but it enhances your life. What I'm really hearing from that is self-worth almost goes hand in hand with building a really strong sense of identity and yes. feeling really comfortable moving in the world as a solo person. It's a really beautiful way of putting that. I hope I will be getting a lot of sunset photos after this episode airs. Yeah, sure. it's really, it's an interesting thing to ask yourself to do. And believe me, I've had many a patient who has said, I, I can't do that. I would feel stupid. I would feel like people were looking at me. Well, what's she doing by herself? People are too self-absorbed. They don't really care. <laughs> I'm going to backtrack a little bit to some of the things that we were talking about earlier with self-trust and feeling betrayed. So in yeah. this particular episode, the person that we interviewed, her ex-boyfriend left her for her best friend. Something that I hear a lot in my messages and my emails is people will say, once I've gotten cheated on, I have a really hard time trusting my partner. I have all these intrusive thoughts saying, I'm not with them. They're probably out doing something with somebody else. They have a hard time finding peace within themselves during, you know, a new relationship. If the thoughts start springing up, you know, a year into it, what are some things that people can do to combat that? One, my very first answer would be, you might need to seek therapeutic intervention because it happened to me once. It's bound to happen to me again is what's called a, a globalization of something, meaning you take one specific instance of something happening and you make it, oh, that's going to happen for the rest of my life. And that's a cognitive behavioral error. However, it's also very normal. If this happened to me once, I obviously, my picker is, there's something wrong with my picker, or you're just, you were so hurt. There's a whole psychological disorder called PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, where you really relive things and you are triggered by things that are similar to it. And so you go into those kinds of reactions and responses because of getting triggered. You want, my husband now tells me, because my second ex had a terrible temper and was at times physically abusive to me. My now husband said at the beginning of our relationship that he could see me baiting him in some ways to make him mad. So I would be able to say, okay, I guess I'm safe, you know, because he hasn't hit me or screamed at me or whatever. So I was definitely playing out my fear of having chosen again. And basically about the only thing you can do is to say, you know, you're my first relationship after I had this really horrendous experience and it hurt me deeply. And I've been to therapy or I've really tried to work this out. I've read a lot of books or I've journaled or whatever, but it's likely that I'm going to play this out with you. And I'm going to try my best to allow new information in as quickly as I can, but it may take me longer. And that's just a choice you're making when you pick me. I tell people all the time that, and I know this myself, that when we enter relationships with someone, we're giving them permission to bring us great joy, but we're also giving them permission to hurt us. Not like, oh, it's okay if you hurt me, but because I'm choosing to be vulnerable with you, you are more likely to hurt me than someone else who I have not been vulnerable with. So that's just a reality of being in relationship, but you can give somebody a heads up and they may look at you and go, well, I don't really want to be in relationship with someone who is going to not trust me. And then you go, well, okay, so there's some information about this person. They need me to see them as the be all end all and that I'm not supposed to have any kinds of issues. Well, thank you. Goodbye. Because if you're being honest, then you can say this is going to be really hard for me. My now husband knew I had been tremendously hurt. And so he was prepared. He had also been hurt in another way, which is that's his life. So I won't share it. If it's a year or two or three into it and you're still struggling, then that's probably more about you, which you really then need to, it, it probably that distrust has 
its roots even further back than when you are so hurt by your ex. It's very likely to have really old roots that you don't understand yet. That's important to know as well. I mean, I think that's so true about anything in life. If you're choosing to be vulnerable, like I'm about to take a new job and I was thinking, well, I'm so safe here at this job that I have now. And, you know, I know what to expect, but kind of choosing, okay, you can stay on the sidelines and you know, you'll be safe on the sidelines, but get out in the game. Like you could end up scoring a touchdown or experiencing great joy. And there's probably going to be disappointment. You are opening up yourself up to getting hurt again, but would you rather be on the bench? This is a great pivot to the final thing I want to talk about. There was one term that that was brought up a lot in this episode, gaslighting. Her ex-boyfriend basically gaslit her into thinking that nothing was happening with the best friend. And so that's how she ignored those signs that maybe something was happening in that pairing and she chose to ignore it for self-esteem issues, but also, you know, not wanting to believe it as well. And the main question that people have been asking me since it aired is they're like, if I'm going through something like that and I feel like my partner is possibly gaslighting me, at what point do I draw boundaries and try and work through what I think may be gaslighting? Or when is it the right time to leave a relationship where I feel like I'm being manipulated in that way? I read that question when you sent it to me and I thought people who actually are gaslighting will not take responsibility for their behavior. So you trying to have a discussion with them about what's going on, it's not going to happen. Gaslighting is a very common manipulative technique by people with narcissistic traits who, in fact, the more severe narcissism, kind of severe narcissism, where they really want to rob you of your sense of even safety and security about knowing who you are and what you think. This isn't about, oh, we did, you say, oh, we did that at three o'clock. And they go, no, I think it was closer to four. You know, this is about, oh, we did that at three o'clock. And they look at you and go, that didn't happen. What are you talking about? Unless you have been gaslit before and you are still fearing that other people are going to gaslight you, uh, which is again, maybe more of your issue, or maybe you've chosen someone who's just like the person you were with. But if you are suspecting it, or if your girlfriends or your boyfriends, you know, whatever, your, your friends' friends say, something's not right here. You're just not happy. You know, you seem to be losing security and you seem to be questioning yourself all the time, or you're saying you're sorry all the time, or we're seeing real changes in you. What's going on in your relationship? Listen to that because that's important. They're seeing changes in your inner sense of self security that they're concerned about. I'm not sure I'd come out and recommend anything, but I would certainly suggest that saying, you know, we need to take a break. I need to figure out what's going on. I'm going to seek some, some therapeutic advice. I don't feel good about what's going on in our relationship. And if they blow up with you, what are you talking about? I treat you like a king or a queen and I can't believe you're saying this. And you know what? That's a hint. Because if I tell someone that really loves me, I don't feel good about something that's going on with us. Their response is going to be, well, what is it? And I want to hear it. And can we try to figure this out together? They're not going to get defensive. A narcissist or a person with narcissistic traits will get defensive. And you've got your information. Are you going to listen to that information? Maybe not. Gaslighting is very, very hard to see when it's happening to you, when it's happening to somebody else. No problem. You can see it. But it's one of those very insidious kinds of things that can literally make you feel like you're losing your mind in its most severe form. And you're being told you are losing your mind. I remember my second ex used to say to me, better stay with me because if someone knew who you really were, someone knew what you were really like, they'd leave you. And he questioned everything that I thought. And that's why graduate school was so important because I was like, oh, people think I'm actually know what I'm talking about sometimes. Count on the people who truly love you to give you honest feedback about what kind of changes they see in you. Relationships are supposed to build you up. Relationships are supposed to enhance you. Relationships, good relationships are supposed to 
know, help you flourish as the person you want to be. And if they're not, then you're not in the right relationship. So the last note I'd love to leave on, because it seems like we could chalk up all these issues that we touched on today to really having a strong sense of self and self-worth and identity. If you could leave my listeners with just one pointer or one final takeaway for starting to build that really strong sense of self, what would you tell them? A question I think that is very helpful. I mean, I've already said some of these things that I think are good, like, you know, wait, spend time with yourself, get to know how you uniquely see the world and honor that, write about it, whatever. But I also think sometimes that we treat ourselves very poorly. We know our vulnerabilities. We know the things that we feel shame about. We know the things, we know the mistakes we've made. And many of us, me included, for a long time, carry that around with an intense amount of shame. And someone who wants to manipulate you in a relationship will sense that and they will poke the bear. They'll poke your shameful bear all the time. To realize, you know, I I have a a definition for the term self-acceptance, which again, we talk about self-worth, self-esteem, self-acceptance, I believe, is knowing that your strengths nor your vulnerabilities define you any more than the other. So that means I can have strengths, I can have vulnerabilities. Both of them are part of who I am. Neither one of them define me any more than the other part of me does. I pointed this out by saying I've been married three times, something I carried a lot of shame about for years. I have three letters after my name, something that's given me the license to do what I love to do. Neither one of those defines me any more than the other one. And I had to live a long time before I figured that out. If you want to hop on my whatever bit of wisdom I have, then maybe you can work on that definition of self-acceptance. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Dr. Margaret Rutherford, for joining us today. Again, be sure to check out her podcast, The Self Work Podcast, for a wealth of more information on, I'm sure, topics just like this that are so topical and important to us today. Thank you, Abby, so very much.